0: This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that loves working on a Sunday. No one kidding as always. We are here for a special mailbag edition, so hopefully that is a good thing, but we did pre-record this. The good news or maybe the bad news. We don't know how bad the market is on Friday yet. So if it ended badly, have some sympathy for us. If it ended well, then feel free to have a celebratory drink. If it's after afternoon when you're listening to this, I'm not sure what time it'll go live. But if it is, feel free to open a beer. Mate, we're recording this at my place in the New South Southern Highlands. It is a spectacular day outside, almost belying the... Um, terrible, terrible falls that continue to happen on the ASX. As we record this on Friday morning, the market is down. I'm just refreshing my page. 3.98%. We'll call that four among friends. Uh, not a great start to the trading day, not a terrible end to the trading week.
1: Um, do you want me to say something? I thought you might have some thoughts on oh, it. I didn't really have it. You know, <laughs> markets have. falling. Should we just move on? Uh,
0: yeah, it's just, just move so, on. mate, we've got lots and lots of questions from our wonderful listeners. The full mailbag is full to overflowing and as we'd like to do, more often than not, actually, these days, it started off as a, as an extra, but we've got so much great correspondence that we want to do it justice and give people some answers. So, um,
1: how about we do that for a bit? Let's do that.
0: All right, buddy. My <laughs> apologies for uh, leaving the lurch there. Let's start with a question from Michael. I know you love bonds. We talk about gold on Friday. We talking about bonds today. Bonds. So.
1: Yeah, Bonds are great. But bonds are awesome.
0: Now, but you do you have had some thoughts about bonds? You've shared with us on our on our private work channel recently. So you may or may not have a view on this. Michael says, "Hi Scott and Doc. What is a good rate of return on bonds at the moment?" Not not the underwear, but the uh, the financial instruments. Mm. And what could I expect on five grand over 10 years? Thank you. Modeling Fool what Money. For, for more, go to
1: fool.com.au well, James forward James slash triple M. one I like is James Bond. <laughs>
0: oh, boom, boom. Yeah, You saw my joke. That was really exactly where I was going next. <laughs> so,
1: so I'm a big fan of James Bond. Well you know, done. And I, I, I really wait for the James Bond movies. <laughs> it's, it's kind of one of my it's things. It's been postponed. Huh? It's been postponed. Well, I'm disappointed about, Me too. Uh, Right, I I reckon they should have just released it on the, you know, over the top streaming, yeah. so that I could just watch it at home instead of going to the theater. Um, <laughs> I'm willing to pay money for top dollars, you know. Uh. (laughs) So uh, anyways, yeah. So uh, there's that bond, which I think is important. And then there's the (laughs) other bond, which is uh, bonds are basically uh, government papers that says, you know, you give us some money now and we will return you your money. But on the way, um, we will pay you what's called a coupon or interest. So, you know, they might say we'll pay you some interest on the money you give us. Um, and usually, you know, so that's, you know, the, the bond could also be issued by the government or could be issued by a corporation, could be issued by a state government, could be issued by a municipality. Um, right. Yeah.
0: So, but they're kind of equivalent to term deposits in structure. Yeah. You give them some money, they pay some interest on the way through and they give you your money back at the end, in exactly. theory. Yes. Not quite as safe in some circumstances as a term deposit?
1: Yeah. So, let me t- term deposit is safe if it is government guaranteed to, that, to the right. same extent. Um, a bond is safe, uh, if it's a government bond, for example. uh, (laughs) For for the same reason, right? From a government that you... Whose promise on the term deposit you're willing to accept, I guess, right. then you would will be willing to accept their promise on the um, on the bond papers as well.
0: If the Australian government's not here in ten years. We've got bigger issues than our bond, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: So if, <laughs> if, if if so, I mean, I mean the thing is, that if if you don't believe the Australian yeah. government on the bond papers, yeah. then you shouldn't believe the Australian government on the yeah. deposits either, right?
0: That's, right. Uh, well, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, okay. So, yeah.
1: so I mean, it's it's like that, and. Um, yeah, and then and the same thing with you know certain companies' bonds. I mean, certain companies' bonds are basically not trustworthy. Uh, <laughs> Surely people, not. Uh, and people demand higher interest on them. The higher <laughs> actually, the higher the interest you're paying, uh, getting the the more likely it is that the bond is risky. Um, the lower the interest you're getting, the you know, more likely it is that the the bond is not that risky. But yeah, the bonds are basically almost all bonds around us are going to be paying pittance. So yeah, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of that bond. It's that, okay. that
0: one? It just occurs actually that really long-term government bonds and the term deposit rate should be effectively the same right because it's the same guarantor so you kind of as a, as a depositor you don't you don't really care which one you take you just you would take the higher amount right like if I could take a 10-year government bond or a 10-year term deposit with Westpac and if that term deposit was government guaranteed yeah it, it it's kind
1: of the same thing. It's yeah. I I've think never that, thought about it that way. Yeah, so I think it's the same thing. I think from a retail investor point of view, it's the same thing. The problem, yes. I think, is like there are lots of governments around the world who invest in their savings and bonds or keep their... Um, their cash flow in bonds, right? Okay. And for them, like, I mean, you know, if I'm, let's say I'm, you know, let's, let's say I'm the government of the Emirates mm-hmm. and I need to, you know, I need to keep my cash somewhere and get something <laughs> yeah. out of it. I can't give it to Westpac right. because, you know, right, Westpac right, is probably right. going to not give me anything right. <laughs> for that kind of money. So what I need to do is I need to find, <laughs> you know, buy some government yeah, bond yeah. papers yeah. And, and then take the pittance I get along the way. I guess that's <laughs> what happens. Um, I guess yeah, that could work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, that's... I guess that could work. Yeah.
0: Nice one. Yeah, look, I think that's right. You're going to get not much in a bond. It's 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 almost zero. I got to say, mate, if 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 shares underperform bonds over the next ten years, we have got bigger issues, don't we? Oh, we got I mean, huge, I, huge I, issues. I, I can't imagine. You know, the the bonds are uh, less than one percent. Ten year government bond was it point eight or something stupid at one point? It's tiny anyway. Yeah,
1: and probably going down.
0: Like if we don't get, I mean, if you lock it in today's price, you'd at least get that coupon, right? Yeah. So if if you could get one point three percent for the government for ten years. If we don't get more than that in shares, and again, not because I'm a shares guy necessarily, I mean, a property, frankly, like if there's less than, if if it's, if it's a negative return, which affected like 1.3% a year is, a, is basically, for all intents and purposes, zero, right? It's 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 not exactly, but it's close enough to not worry about it. I got to say, if, if you're going to invest for 10 years and you're not investing in shares, you have to believe shares are worth less than than now, particularly including franking credits. I, I I don't understand why you would go bonds for that period of time, I have to say, mate.
1: Yeah, it doesn't make really much sense.
0: Unless you needed to know you had exactly that amount of money at the 10th year, if you knew you were going to take the money out and then do a thing with it, and that five grand was absolutely must be there, government guaranteed at that point, I guess that would that be one reason to do it. Yeah. All right, next question from David, from Michael to David. Hi, Scott and Doc. I had a quick question. Not sure if you can help. now. I should say this question came through on Saturday. Um, it's now, well, it's Sunday's Sunday. It's Friday as we're recording this. David, David, um, it, the question is less helpful now than it was possibly five days ago. You'll know why. I had a quick question. I'm not sure if you can help. I'm 41. I have some money in Super. It's with Vic Super's Future Saver, which I'm guessing is largely shares. I'm thinking about pulling some or all of it out and putting it into cash as I'm worried the share market could tank. Is cash the option the safer option, do you think? Cheers, David. Uh, David, it's... Uh- <laughs> It's been a tough week, mate. So whatever you had in shares seven days ago, oh, eight days ago now was last Saturday. Uh, unfortunately, mate, there's less of that left. Uh, I can't imagine unless you were lucky enough to be in toilet paper shares, um, you're, n- you're not doing quite as well as you were last week. Mate, I don't say that. I don't laugh because it's it's not funny. I don't mean, I'm not laughing at your return. Frankly, mate, my, my portfolio looks every bit as bad as yours, I'm sure does. Um, it's been a really, really tough few days. Doc, if you're in super, is cash the place to be?
1: No, I mean, here's the thing, right? I mean... Okay, so we say this with the benefit of hindsight, that, well, you know, if we had gone to cash, then we'd have been, it's really hard
0: I'd be a genius if I'd said yes on Saturday.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, it's really hard to know um, when, like, here's the thing, right? Every problem that happens in the financial markets, and the stocks take a beating for that, uh, and and if it's like big drops like this, where we are, you know, 20% or below um, sort of market highs, Mm. it's- it's all obvious with hindsight right oh you yeah. know this was happening that was happening this yeah. was happening and so on and so forth so we did not know this yeah so if anybody told you like i mean your broken clock is right twice a day <laughs> so if anybody told you yeah. that you know it happened i told you so i mean they're basically just you know telling you so now but they probably were wrong hundreds of times so that's number yeah. one that's uh, a good point so number two is um, again i think again as you, as you pointed out to a previous question like longer term you think of returns right i mean cash basically gives you no return cash on a term deposit gives you no return um and uh solar bonds probably giving you no return so i mean what do you do i would still think that the share market over the longer term gives Mm. you high returns i think there's a little bit of uh, you know i want to provide another perspective here okay um here's an interesting i mean the the and let's just use the australian market this actually applies Reasonably well to pretty much any market that you think about. Mm. Last year, if you just look at the last calendar year, the market was up something like what thirty percent or twenty-five percent or some some huge number, right? Um, that's a pretty abnormal return mm. for mm. if you think about mm. averages, right? The market averages about maybe eight nine percent per annum. If you um, if you were up, let's say twenty-five percent in one year, then it was a pretty high return. I would say that if you actually look over a two-year period, probably yeah. you're now closer to what you'd expect from the market on an average annualized basis yeah, right yeah. so the market right you, right you know whatever is the reason there is a there's a catalyst that has caused the market to go down mm-hmm. catalyst is all real but in a way if, if you take that sort of the view that you know I want to look two years back or I want to look maybe three years back and then the market is actually relatively speaking doing okay right and and then of course there are individual shares that are, you know that, that are up and down <laughs> and, right. and, and 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 so, and so forth so I, I think that's the the other thing you know the, the calendar year 19 was an extraordinary good year, yep. right? So if you were not invested in calendar year 19 or in cash, then you missed out on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the thing. You don't know when things go down, when things, you know, but on average, that should go up. So, you know, being invested makes sense. Having some cash on on, on the side also makes sense, like, you know, some, mm-hmm. so that you can take advantage uh, periodically. Uh, you know, you feel like, you know, that, that's mostly from a, Um, psychological basis, right? having some cash, being able to, you know, take action when things are, you know, uh, all gloom and doom, that's useful. Uh, At least I find it useful from a, from again, a psychological basis. It feels like, okay, I am, more in control than the market being in control of me. Um, Although it's just, again, psychological because you could say that, well, you know, if the market was going to be up 30% last year, you should Mm -hmm. have actually invested all that money and been 30% up and then taken a 20% downturn, Uh, right? You know, like it's it's all of those things. So, yeah, no, I I still, you know, I wouldn't have said go to cash unless someone, uh, because I didn't have the predictive capability to say when something was going to go wrong. Um yeah, and, and it with the thirty percent drop happens once every like you know, twenty percent drop happens once every four years that's or, the thing right like once every, actually a 15 percent <laughs> drop happens every two years on average yeah every time we talk happens. about this it's
0: it, it, i i say regularly i think the finance industry financial participants investors the group must have the worst memories of any professional group in the world right like historians are obviously by definition good at history scientists do a great job of compounding history right they kind of take what's known and 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 push that further investors every three years go oh Oh, this could happen. That feels scary. I mean, I kind of, I get it. I'm not, I'm not laughing anyone who's worried about it right now, but man, if you've been investing for any length of time, you've got to know this is what happens, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's a, you know, the markets have a downturn. There's a different reason for every downturn, and which is yes, why yes. every every move down is different. That's why we can't predict it. And that's why you can't predict it, right? We can say on average, saying something is on average, like that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen at mm-hmm. exactly that clock point mm-hmm. because then everybody would draw from the market exactly <laughs> the same <laughs> time. So, so it doesn't happen that way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? Uh, you know, the GFC was a was a debt crisis, a collateral yeah. debt crisis. Yeah. This one that you have is a health crisis. Right, right, something right. else will happen again in the future. Will be something else. I don't know. Yep. yep. Um, so so it's, it's all of those things. Um, so i wouldn't yeah but you know again as, as i said you know having if you have if you're managing a portfolio having some portion of your portfolio in cash mm-hmm. um is you know mm-hmm. what typical portfolio managers would do you know between zero and ten percent is sort of where people would have uh, their cash and you know and and, and times like this they'll probably be deploying it mm-hmm. um, and other times they basically use it uh, as a hedge um yeah so i i think yeah so i wouldn't yeah, although to have been really smart to actually be out.
0: Or, or just lucky, right? Which is actually your earlier point. Yeah, early point. lucky, yeah. it's so a yeah. have been lucky, yeah. but
1: you know, I don't want to call somebody lucky, I just call them smart.
0: <laughs> uh, right, so I'm uh, the bad guys. is that what you're saying?
1: No, 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 i just, yeah, I mean, I agree that it's, <laughs> I as, as I'm saying, I get it, that I get it, it <laughs> uh, you know, predicting it.
0: Yeah, that's a whole lot harder.
1: If, if you asked me, you know, like, I've, if you asked me three weeks ago what I thought versus what I think now, I would... I have a difference in opinion on that and that's Mm -hmm. largely tells you how good my predictive ability is, right? My predictive (laughs) ability is not that good because if, if, you know, what I was thinking three weeks ago is not consistent with what I'm thinking now. Right, right, right. That that tells you how, uh, you know, the things have changed.
0: So I'm going to say two things about that, mate. I think the first thing is what I like about that statement you just made of you're not thinking the same thing now as you were three weeks ago or two weeks ago, whatever you said. What I love about that, why that's really, really important is because it's that's what investors and anyone needs to do, right? The old, was it John Maynard Keynes or John Kenneth Galbraith? One of them said, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do? I think that's the case. You know, people can be really pig-headed about their, their views of whatever they are. The only right thing to do is change your mind when new factors cause that to be necessary rather than sticking your head in the sand and saying, well, screw you, I'm not going to change my mind. Who cares? So that's really important and for anyone listening. That is, that is a fantastic example. The other thing is, I'm just going to d- double down on your point, mate. If you can't predict the future... In specifically, i.e., should I be in cash last Friday or today? I mean, we could go cash today if we want to. We could have done it during the week. I didn't. You didn't. Um, you know, because we don't know what happens next. The I would I would always say for most people, particularly super, which is hopefully super long term. Um, our question was forty one. Right, he's got another. Well, honestly, David, I reckon you're going to be in the stock market for another forty five years at least, right? Because you're forty one now. You're probably going to live to at least eighty five. And there's every chance that if you keep building your super well, that You're going to need to keep most of that invested most of your life and just draw down slowly on that. If you've got a 45 year horizon, um, if you can't predict the future, you can't. I can't. Doc can't. No again. Then what do you do? You should put the probabilities on your side rather than trying to be trying to be cleverer than the probabilities, right? If the market goes up more than down, and it does. If the market goes up further than it goes down, and it does. If the market goes up two years out of three, and it does, then overall, if you've got a the, the best the best kind of passive version, particularly in super in my view, it's just stay invested. Just be invested, stay invested, add regularly because super is being added by definition regularly. If you stay, if you go to cash now, what's going to happen is when your company makes your next deposit, maybe that's today, maybe next week, maybe last week, that's going to go into cash as well. Now, in hindsight, I don't know whether the market falls another 20% or doesn't, but you want to be buying all the way through. This dip is my guess because at the other end of this, whether we whether get another 20% or not, in five years time, it's probably going to be up 40%. And so you know, you're going to be buying at prices much cheaper than where they will be at some point once this is passed. If you know that's going to be the case, man, particularly in super when you're adding regularly, I, I got to say I reckon you're better off being in shares, copying the loss now because when, it, when the recovery comes and it will come, all of that, ass, all that value, you want all that in cash at that point to take full advantage of the upswing rather than waiting for it to happen and then wait another couple of months and forgetting about it accidentally and then maybe getting around to it or maybe doing half. I, I would always back the probabilities given the choice.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that makes sense.
0: Let's move on. We got a question from James. Hi, champions! Love the podcast. Champions, I like that. Maybe it could be the Motley Fool Champions podcast.
1: Right now, I don't feel like a champion.
0: <laughs> oh, mate, it's been a brutal. Brood- it's been a brutal few weeks, hasn't it? So much better my it, portfolio. It has, yeah. Um, it, uh, just very quickly, too, so I'll, I'll say two things. We're, we're laughing about it a little bit. Uh, a, because it's a bit of gallows humour, right? Just how you deal with stuff like that. It's also because it's okay to kind of just kind of laugh at your own dumb luck or, or just misfortune, right? Particularly when you know that or we don't know anything for sure, just if Asics listening, but it's also true. Um, we have every expectation, Doc and I, the market will bounce back and go to higher levels than it was before it started falling at some point, right? So if, you know, it's painful, it's annoying, we wish it didn't happen, we'd love up into the right forever. But it's kind of like if you, if you have a really strong conviction that this gets better and, and we go back to normal and then better than normal at some point, um, then it lets you actually see through some of the pain. And at least doesn't mean you don't feel, it doesn't mean you don't want to kick the cat, but it does mean that you can look through it and go, okay, well, I guess we are where we are. And let's at least have a chuckle about it because we know the future will be brighter. All right. Hi, champions. Love the podcast. Quick question. Now the share market is having an everything must go sale. I like that. Is now the time to take out a small loan that we could afford to repay should we lose everything to capitalize on this Black Friday-esque sale? Full on and happy bargain shopping, James. I love that you're thinking that way. I love that you're looking for opportunities rather than freaking out. I love that you're asking the question, Doc. It's the right question, but what is the right answer?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So I think here's the here's the thing, right? So I think the answer, the right answer, is very personal, and it 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 really depends on individuals, right? And I I think he's right to think that there's like you know black friday or black monday whatever you want to call it um stuff on sale um just the thing i would tell people is and and in very general terms is Mm -hmm. if you are going to take a loan against whatever thing you're taking that loan in you should be comfortable enough and reasonably certain enough that you'll be able to Write it out yep. and manage that debt that you're taking. Yeah, right. So you know, for example, you, if you think things are a fire sale, you could take a margin loan mm-hmm. and then, but then you have a collateral of your shares. And if the shares fall another twenty percent, are you going to be able to handle that? Um, the margin calls that may come, yep. right? So yeah, absolutely. I think you know, do what you think you can do without. Um, jeopardizing your future because the, the thing is that you what you don't want is you don't want to be wiped out yeah right so that's the balance one needs to strike um yeah like so if you've got cash that's what i would deploy first if you don't have cash and you've got you know if you've say paid your, your mortgage in advance and you are able to pull some money out from there without actually risking your mortgage um that's another avenue, yep. as an example. So, yep, yep, yep. yeah. So, I would, I'd be just cautious. That, that'll be my strategy. I'm just, while I'm a high growth investor, I'm generally I try to be cautious about sort of how mm-hmm. I deploy cash. Mm-hmm. That's just is again a personal thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, different people have different levels of comfort. So, that I'm just again, my answer is from my own personal perspective.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great answer, mate. I, my my worry, James, is that. I use the example all the time. And if you listen to the podcast, you've heard it for a while. If you haven't, other people have, I promise. Um, if, when they ask us, we all think, 90% of us think we're better than average drivers, right? And I guarantee you that mathematically isn't true <laughs> by definition. Um, so given that, I mean, you can talk about the median perhaps and we could have, a mean, we could have those conversations. Generally speaking, just trust me on this one. Um, 90% of people think we're better than average drivers, right? 90% of people who want to take margin loans think they'll be the ones who won't get burnt by them. And maybe they won't, maybe they will. You don't want to go back, as Doc said, to square one. That is the very, 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 very worst thing you could do. Now, you say we could pay the line off if we got wiped out. i got to say, why would you take the risk of being wiped out? Like, why would you actually put yourself in that position? Yeah, you could manage it and it'd be okay. But is that really better than, than – than, yeah? Is, is the upside potential better than jeopardizing what you actually have now? The answer is almost certainly no in my mind. So – you know, Theoretically, it is. there are ways to structure and manage a loan that make you okay. As Doc said, you've got the cash left on the sideline, you sell some shares early, you buy high LVR stocks. There's things you can th- try and do to minimize the risks, but you can't eliminate them. And again, do you really want to gamble your current asset base on the, f- the chance it might be larger in future? Almost certainly the answer is no. If you do it, as Doc said, again, I'm probably just repeating, Doc, actually, I'll, I'll just do it because he's done, he's done a really good job anyway. I'm just talking for the sake of it now. Um, you can, yeah, yes, do it against the house if you want to. Use, use cash you've got preferably. Um, the idea of doing it against the house is you don't get a margin call, so you can you can write it through. Um, and if you're buying quality companies, we believe that's probably long-term a good a good result. Um, I could imagine a scenario where I redrew some money from a mortgage to, to you know, shares drop another X percent. I don't want to I don't want to scare the horses here, but you know, if things got if things got to like you people have got to be kidding. This is just dumb. Um, then I I think I'd struggle not to take some money out of the mortgage. I probably have to convince the lady wife, uh, who may have a different view, by the way. Um, if you're listening, darling. Uh, but uh, if we got to that, yeah, I might consider it just because it just seemed too good to be true. Uh, but I don't think you need to chase debt. Um, getting rich slowly is far far better than going rich quick oh, sorry going broke quick alright let's move on doc next That's question good. from Ian Ian says firstly thanks for your podcast actually I'm going to ask you live here doc can you see the question I'm about to ask you
1: I have actually. I have, you know, I are, there, are,
0: there any, are there any stock restrictions I can't ask you about? Before I ask, you, I just said two weeks ago. Just just a bit of inside baseball here, fools. Uh, two weeks ago, I asked Doc about a company um, that he was that he was looking to make a trade on, and uh, and by asking about the company, I actually precluded him from making that particular trade. And he looked at me with daggers, and then went on with answering the question, and then said, "You just cost me some money." Uh, so I feel well, bad about that.
1: Yeah. Why don't you actually keep turning? Because I'm
0: going to quickly. Check. Here's the question, here, mate. No, no I know. Oh, you, no, you got to no, check. No, all right, no. he's going to check his compliance policy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change tack. While while he checks, I'm going to read some questions live from, not live from Instagram, not exactly live questions, but I'm going to read them straight from Insta, mate. Um, the first question I've got here, let me scroll through as he does, look okay, how's this for active. Um, let me go. All right, here we go. The question comes from Jason. Jason says, hey, Scott, what kind of stocks do you guys think would perform well if we do go into a recession? I'm gonna take the first one on this, Jason. Um, The thing about, so there's, (laughs) there's, that's a really, really simple, easy question, right? Super simple, easy question. The problem is there's three parts to the answer. Because you have gotta work out what the business is gonna do. You've gotta work out what you mean by doing well. And then you gotta look, you can think about your timing. So if doing well is what businesses are gonna have the least disruption to their operations during a recession, that's one question. If the question is, which companies are likely to lose least share price wise in a recession, that's a different question. Or if you're saying, actually, if we're in a recession, which company should I buy? Because they're gonna do best coming out of the recession. That's a different question as well. And there's probably a larger one, which is between now and 2025, which are gonna do well through that period, which is also a very different question because the recession may not even matter um, to the long-term future of the company. So. Like that's a really really, yeah, I said, really, really simple question, really difficult to answer without being a little more specific. Doc, I'm going to say it's fair to say the businesses that should perform best during a recession are those that we have least, um, to use the economics term, elasticity of demand for. In other words, the demand doesn't change. So if I'm thinking about those companies, I'm thinking about the supermarkets, Woolies and Coles. I'm probably thinking about electricity and water. I'm probably thinking about telecommunications. Um, you know, I don't know how, I don't know too many people who are going to stop using their phone during a recession. So if I think about things that we're going to keep doing, activities that we're not going to change as a society, regardless of there being a recession, we're going to cut down other things, but probably not those things. I would say, underlying business-wise, they're the ones that are most likely to keep. You know, we're going to have eat the same number of baked beans, same number, use the same number of toilet rolls, or maybe maybe less now. We've got a stockpile each, of, you know, hundreds of toilet rolls. Um, you know, we're going to keep using our water, we're going to keep using our electricity. We're probably going to keep using our phones. I might downgrade plans a little, I guess, but generally speaking, we'll keep using them. Any other companies you think are best placed operationally, so purely the business, not the stock for now, the business, which ones are, mo- are most likely to go through a recession with least disruption
1: during the recession itself? Yes, I'll take a slightly different tack. My, my oh, okay. favorite playbook is to focus on enterprise software companies. Oh, did you so, you so,
0: completely uh, my question. As a, as a business or as a stock though?
1: Actually, it's both. Okay. Um, go on. But as a business, the reason being that, so I'll define my term. Yeah. Enterprise software here means companies that, so these are companies that sell software to other businesses. And when I say enterprise, I am typically excluding SMBs. Right. Okay? So I'm basically thinking software companies that sell software to other large companies.
0: Okay.
1: Yep. And typically these would be done in using a SaaS model yep. um, and uh, software as a service model and there would be recurring revenues. So yep. it's highly unlikely that these companies would lose revenue. Right. And they might lose on growth, right? But you know, so what what, what might happen is they might have to dial down on their sales and marketing yep. to adapt for the growth. But even even through recessions you would think that big companies which are using, in, in fact there's an argument that uh, companies in a recession you know smart companies in a recession actually would look to uh streamline their processes mm-hmm. and therefore increase productivity through software right and so they actually might actually do well so that's i, I think from a business standpoint um enterprise software is probably the golden child okay yep. um in, in my view yeah, that, yeah that's that's what i would focus on um of course there's a there's there's that The other component that I think needs to be considered, which is the price, because what might actually happen is consumer discretionary or even consumer focused companies, they might actually get hit much harder. So Mm -hmm. you need to consider um, the price um, there as well. The the other thing I'll I'll point out is even in sort of the consumer discretionary world, there are things that are discretionary and in point transient. Mm -hmm. That demand basically is going to disappear. Yep then there are things that are that are going to be deferred yep. and people are going to use it at you know or do that spending at a later point in time mm-hmm. so there's going to be pent-up demand uh, uh in the in the latter case when the consumer demand basically um, bounces uh, consumer sentiment basically bounces back so so those are sort of the lens i'm using mm-hmm. um yeah nice um
0: so the other thing I think to some degree, depending on what sort of investor you are, is, you know again, through a recession, I, I would say for what it's worth, well, mate, some of those businesses have actually been hit reasonably hard share price-wise despite that, right? Because um, investors have – those companies have had – I've got this question actually on a, a Facebook Live Q&A we did. If, you, um, if, you're on, if you're on Facebook and you're following the Motley Fool Australia, um, you can jump on and have a look at that particular video. If, you, if you're interested, to see more of my ugly mug on TV, which frankly I'm not sure anyone would be. If you are, have a good hard look at yourself. But if you want to – we had a question from people saying, look, I thought these were supposed to be recurring revenue businesses. I thought these were supposed to be businesses, as you've already described, Doc, yet the share prices have been killed in some cases, not necessarily worse than others, just in general. Um, and I, my, my, my thought was largely that's because while the businesses themselves are solid, the, the future expectations that people had for these businesses were higher than they have now. Now, we either say that was because they were too irrational before, or they're too irrational now, or maybe even a bit of both. Um, they, have, they have been hit to some degree, some of them, along with the market. So you know, yesterday, for example, in our market fell seven point something percent. Um, consumer staples only fell four. The others fell seven, eight, nine percent. There's kind of there's still there's still some price sentiment kind of that will move those share prices around, right?
1: Yeah, that's that's right. So I mean, uh, if if it's a growth stock and it was priced, I mean, growth stocks were you know on on traditional metrics would be expensive, yeah, and and therefore in a, a when something is priced for growth and then people know that in the near term the growth is going to be not there, <laughs> uh, then they're going to be hammered. Um, I mean, the way, I think, as I said, as we talked about in, in the in the other podcast, I think the number of lenses here, right? So you want to think about, in difficult times, you want to think about com- companies that are actually mm. innovative, able to... Um, ride through the storm and actually come out stronger there'll be a bunch of companies that are going to actually come out stronger through this there are going to a bunch of companies that are going to actually not exist yep. uh, post this right so uh, right. That's, that's the sort risk, of, right? yeah. that's the lens yeah, yeah, right yeah. the ones that are going to make it across the other end of the pond are probably actually going to do really well yeah okay. right because they'll be they'll probably steal share from those guys which disappeared Right or those guys that are going to be battered so badly that you know they'll not be able to rise up again. So you know, there's all that. You know, as I said, there's It's it's not really a single dimensional thing. You have to think about you know. So think of the business strength is what you know. If I was going through my watch list, I would be saying, well, what's the business strength? Mm. What's the share price? Mm -hmm. How much do I think it should be worth based on what I think the future might look like? Totally. And um, you know, and I'd give a big check mark if something is innovative. Um, then I think in my mind these are the times when the innovative businesses with smart leaders actually do well. Um, mm. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd use Coming
0: out the other side, right? A, and that's that's what we talked about it was this podcast, maybe the one on Friday. Exactly that idea that, you know, if through times of turmoil, the best business come out stronger right at the other side.
1: Yeah, exactly. As, as we've talked about the yeah. other podcast, right, you know, uh, some, some of the companies that you know, like the stuff that we use daily today were yeah. actually all established during the depth of the GFC. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Okay to answer that question. As well. Oh, good. <laughs>
0: okay, cool. so, Thank you for checking. So the company, of course, is... Uh, so your favorite, or your second favorite company? Where are we? Where are we sitting now in the hierarchy of your favorite companies?
1: Well, the, I, I don't know. Like I mean, you know, okay. in terms of favorite, in terms of the most potential company, I think that's the you know, if I look at the entire universe of the world, that's the company probably with the highest risk and the highest reward potential. So.
0: All right, so we're gonna we're gonna leap directly into Dockland right now because not only we're we talking about Tesla, surprise, surprise, we're also talking about call options. Uh, and so I'm going to be very quiet during most of this conversation because I know far less about both uh, than Doc does. So here we go. Ian says, thank you. Firstly, thanks for your podcast. It's been great for improving my investing knowledge and I particularly enjoy the mailbag editions. Well, Ian, hopefully listening to this one, if you're just uh, talking nice things and you weren't actually listening to them, you're going to miss your questions. So hopefully you're being genuine. I'm interested in Doc's general advice on buying Tesla call options. I've been overweight on Tesla for a few years, recently selling a very small portion to reduce my some of my cost base. I'm considering reinvesting some of this into long call options when the next lot of bad news is out, but I'm unsure as to the best pricing strategy for strike and buying price versus options expiry trade-off. Mate, I was lost halfway through this one. <laughs> what would you generally recommend, mate? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and break this down for me, mm. and then hopefully for other people. Because uh, if I if I if I ask the question in parts, so Tesla we know about electric car company, energy business. Uh, potential Mars uh, arrival, uh, Elon Musk, just phenomenally visionary and, and super, super smart guy. So that's, I think we all know Tesla. Call options. If you are going to buy mm. a call option, what are you buying and what is your right or obligation?
1: Okay, so when you buy a call option, you basically have two things associated with the call option. You've got a strike price, Yep. okay? And you've got an expired date. I'm gonna explain both. Please. The so. So the strike price basically says that when you purchased a call option, mm-hmm. the strike price basically says that by that expiry date, mm-hmm. you can buy the shares of the company, the underlying shares mm-hmm. at that price. Okay, So if the strike price, for example, is 100 yes, then you will be able to buy the shares of the company at $100 right. any time between now and the expiry date.
0: So I pay for the right Yep. To make a future trade, if I so choose, exactly. If I want to buy shares a hundred bucks in December, let's just yep. call it that. I can do that because I've got a piece of paper that says, "Hey, are you told you promised me I could do this." Yeah, and I'm I'm going to go and do it, but I've got to pay a little bit for that right.
1: Well, it's not a little bit. So, what, <laughs> so here's the here's the thing. Now that's, that's easy. You will use ballpark numbers. Nice. So, as a share, Tesla shares are today trading at let's say six hundred dollars. Yep. You buy a call, let's say at. 500 dollars, which gives you the right to buy at 500 now why would anybody sell you at 500 what they're going to ask for you the counterparty is going to say well the shares today are 600 right uh and you want to buy at 500 so there's a hundred dollar difference yep. which is basically the actual value difference at current point in time yes right and then because there's some future uncertainty because the tesla shares may be up or down yep. you actually pay what's called a time value component on it. So right. let's say you are saying that in January 2021 mm-hmm. you want to buy it at $500, mm-hmm. you'll pay the $100 difference today yep. plus maybe another $100 extra. Wow. So therefore you're paying $200 up front. Okay. To make any money on this trade, the shares actually have to be really above 700.
0: Right, because you could buy them now for 600. Yeah. But you're going to buy them at 500, so you're making 100 bucks, but you have got to pay 100 bucks to make that deal. Yeah. Plus the time value which says well, I can invest that money somewhere else and make money on it anyway. Yeah. So I'm foregoing that as well. I'm paying for both of those privileges. Right. Why not just buy the share? Why would I? Why would I? But yeah. Why would I pay two hundred bucks for a right to buy something in in twelve months' time rather than just paying an extra hundred bucks and buying the shares today?
1: Yeah. So one of the reasons people use call options is because you can get you could pretty you know like right now the Tesla call options you could or Tesla options you could mm-hmm. go all the way up to September 2022. Right. That gives you a fair bit of runway. It's not, it's not very long term, but it's yep. you know two and a half years ish yep, yep, yep. that you can get. Yep. Uh, you know, it's not, qu- it doesn't quite meet my three year Like I would ideally, if somebody gave me ideally five year runways on yeah. options, I would actually be really doing a yeah, lot more right. with options uh, than I currently would uh, am doing. Okay. Uh, but you know, two and a half years is pre- pretty long, and then the reason is that if you think about the stock, right, the stock is at six hundred as an ex- example mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. quite at 600 but let's use 600 yeah, yeah, as a number that's good. That's good. Um, if if you want to buy hundred shares yep you effectively would have to pay 600 times hundred to $60,000 yes uh, American yes uh, or if you want to control hundred shares mm-hmm. in my fictitious example where mm-hmm. you're paying up effectively 200 bucks you All could right. control hundred shares by only paying up front 200 bucks so I get per the,
0: share. so I get so by 20 grand to yeah. get the exposure as if I'd spent 600. Right. But it's 600, leveraged it's,
1: it's, it's basically like it's leveraged exposure yes, in the yeah. sense that if it works out for you, mm-hmm. then on the upside in a percentage terms, you're going to make a lot more. Right. But if it doesn't work out for you, yeah. go, you, you're also going to make a loss. So, so that's the right. idea. And
0: uh, the idea of, pay, of paying a small amount now rather than the full amount is if the shares are 400 bucks in a year's time, yeah. I'm simply not going to make the trade. And I've cost myself 200 bucks, but I haven't lost more than I otherwise would have that's lost. Right. yeah. And if the shares are 1,000 bucks, then I get to buy $1,000 worth of shares for $500 on that day. Yeah. Now, yes, I've still paid the 200 bucks. So I've paid, I've still laid 700, yeah. but I made effectively an instant 300 bucks a share yeah. that I otherwise wouldn't have made and I didn't have to pay the whole amount to do that.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, okay, so, nice. so so this is good. And and I'd, I'd congratulate uh, Ian Met for actually selling some. So he he's probably, he's he's smarter than me. I'm also overweight, but, you know, uh, I have not sold any. <laughs> so, whereas he has sold some. Which uh, yes, is, but which knowing is,
0: you, Doc, you fully expect the price um, to be a lot higher in the future. Uh, so,
1: so, I mean, right now... I'm I would say Ian is doing better than me, so congratulations on that. Um, here's, I'd, I'd say another thing. So right now, I, I get what he's he's basically he's looking to reinvest yep. essentially the profit he has made back into into shares, uh, but via the call options, and he wants to have leveraged uh, leverage yep. upside. And he's
0: saying when there's bad news, so he's basically waiting for. Re- so when someone wants to sell him a a five hundred dollar call option for. Fifty bucks because everything has yeah. gone so terribly. Yeah. He's like, I'll buy it then when it's really, really cheap. So we get the full upside. Yeah, that's what he's hoping will happen, right?
1: Yeah. So if in that sort of circumstance, actually, it's really useful. That's a good strategy. Uh, as long as you go, like, if you want to do this, my my pick is to go as far out as possible, right? And and to buy effectively around the money. So when I say okay. around, you know, around the money, I mean if the if the shares are trading at hundred bucks, I'd actually buy at the hundred buck. Uh, strike price the mm-hmm. call, and I'll pay up some time value for that because there's going to be no other there's no intrinsic value to it because the shares and the strike are at the same price. Yes, and and I would only do this if I think that the shares are worth a lot more, because because then it's really like it's basically a bet that you're making in that sense, and then bet is worthwhile because if you think the shares are going to be thousand bucks, and you know you're mm-hmm. basically buying at the strike, it doesn't you know um, yeah so. That's so it's just-
0: important too, right? And you, you mentioned bet. And I'm not going to say it's a bet. I'm not. Gonna, I don't mean that in a, in a pejorative sense. But what I will say is the the you, you possibly, if you bought the shares now and they fell to 400 bucks, you'd lose 30 of your money. Yes. If you buy those call options, don't exercise the right you effectively torch the whole amount and you yes. get nothing for it, right? Yeah. So that's... I just want to make sure... Not that, I'm, not that I'm negative about i don't do options myself. Not that I'm negative about them, but I just want our listeners to know we're not talking about this is a a perfectly great strategy for everything and there's free money available. This is a strategy where if you're wrong with your timing, if you're right eventually with the full... If the shares go to $20,000, yeah. if they go to 300 bucks in the meantime, you will torch your entire investment in those rights. And so there is... Big upside, leverage upside, and as you say, leverage yeah. also works on the downside.
1: Yeah, which is why, which is why I use the word bet exactly for that reason. So it's, okay, a, nice. it's a bet. It's a bet that you're making. Yeah. I, I, I should do. You know, like the reason I was checking is that I I do sort of the reverse of this, and okay. I use I yeah yeah. So for example, I sold a put uh, on on Tesla, uh, mm-hmm. relatively near term one. Because I was being paid at that time, actually, the shares was a little bit higher than they're actually quite a bit, a little bit higher, uh, around maybe six fifty or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was being paid about two hundred dollars per share to make that trade. <laughs> right, so right. effectively saying that my buy price is around four hundred and fifty. Um, that's
0: I gotta say, I'm not an options guy. But that's a, that's the bet I'd be making, right? Yeah. Is, so is I'm happy to be forced to buy stuff stuff I love, and I'll use Berkshire because I do just because it's yeah. just fun. But if someone said to me, "Hey, if Berkshire up to one hundred fifty, you got to buy the shares," I'm like, "You're gonna pay me." To do to that make me buy stuff cheap, it's, it's yeah. a quality company. Of course, I'm going to do that, yeah.
1: So, so I think I think that's the so that's the type of bet I I make. I've, I've actually okay. made that's a trade I made. Um, not on Berkshire, though, not in Berkshire, uh, but but, <laughs> but, but, but Tesla, as I was checking whether you know as it, it was done. It was actually you know my timing was horribly uh, wrong, it was like at least uh, a week or 10 days, <laughs> uh, or something like that, right. um, from now, so uh, or in the in 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 the back, mm. so you know, I, I think. Here's the thing, though, it can become the thing that you want to remember is there is a real obligation to buy those shares at that price, yeah. right? That you have committed to. So if I sold it. <laughs> you a, can't
0: weasel out of that one.
1: Yeah. So now at that point, close to that point, you have the option to roll ahead. Yeah. Or if, you know, if the market, for example, drops another 50%, I really hope it doesn't drop another 50%, but I'm just using that as an example. But if it drops <laughs> another 50%, I yes. would be totally assigned that call and I should be able to take that call. Otherwise, they're going to sell random stuff on my account. Yeah. Right? So, so that's, that's the kind thing. of like a margin
0: line in, in some kind of ways. Like you yeah. don't have the cash to make the trade you
1: have to have the cash to make the 10 or oh, we have right. the margin to actually accept it at least at right, that point right, in time right, right. That's and and be willing to ride it with the margin yeah, interest but whatever it. it is you need to be able to take that right assignment if it comes to that
0: because in theory you're kind of to some degree that's the that's the margin you're taking away in advance right you're kind of saying at some future point i'm going to have what is almost a magical in and of itself right the idea of like the back, the, the brokers could say hey I'd like that money now, please. Yeah. You need to have the money available. You do give up the opportunity to make an investment with that money. That's the other thing, I guess, the time value you talk about is you could yeah. say, well, I've kind of got to make sure I've got money in my, the bank account or margin in, in, the, in the account. I've got, let's just use money. I've got to make sure I've got money in the account to settle that trade when they, when they exercise that option. Yeah, so I'm going to be called to pay the cash. If I, that means I've got to put it aside, which means I can't invest it. Exactly. So, there, so is, there is some, there is some. not only is there risk in the call option of having going to zero, but there is some chance that uh, the lesser risk, much lower risk is my thought, but you tell me if I'm wrong, in having to put cash aside you otherwise could invest.
1: Exactly, so the, the the advantage of the call option is that you're paying the money up front, so therefore there's no really, you, you're you not yeah, yeah, really tied yeah, 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 up yeah, yeah. because you always have the option of selling the call, oh, of course, right? right? Yes. to make the money, you don't yes, have to yes, yes. put up the money. Here you have to put up the money. The way I do this is I would look at the sort of, I would compute what is the interest, if I'm keeping the cash aside, I'd yeah. at least compute the, what is the minimum return I'm getting yeah, if right. I'm not assigned, because the right, thing right, is right. that the stock keeps going up, you're actually better off owning the stock yes, than exactly. actually writing the put because yes, if exactly. you wrote the put, you made some right. money. Right? That's right. So you want to make sure yeah. that you make enough.
0: So stock goes from five hundred to a thousand. Yeah. And you're you're saying, well, I will buy it off, you goes to four fifty. Yeah. And then you do buy it at four fifty, you know, the value of owning the stock would be much more. Exactly. Than, yeah. So so there's
1: yeah. that flip side. So you really yeah. need to remember, like, uh, yeah. So in my case, I figured that you know, it's a decent trade.
0: Because I was going to ask you to buy this. Like, they're not going to exercise that right, are they? They're not going to call, going because they please pay me that money when they can buy they can get more for it yeah, or, exactly. somewhere else. Yeah.
1: So they'd only yeah, give right. it to me if you know. Yes. <laughs> if it is below that price, right, right, right like it. Um, so yeah, you need to keep that in mind yeah.
0: Very good. That's a really good explanation. They say options doesn't make great radio, mate, but we've just proven them wrong. Well done. Oh yeah, You've options done a great make job. great radio. All right, here's a question from Kate on Instagram. Now that's a double benefit because I love the fact we have female listeners. I love the fact they ask on Instagram. Not because it drives you nuts, just because it's fun. I just I feel like a cool kid all of a sudden. I feel somehow three or four years younger, which frankly, my age I'll take. Uh, Alright Hi Scott and Doc Love the podcast In capitals That's why I said it loudly Love the podcast love The podcast. Thanks Kate I've been watching And waiting to invest in Facebook Amazon Alphabet And or Visa Unsurprisingly All US companies With the current downturn I think now would be A great time now, This came through This morning by the way So Kate I love the fact that Despite a week's worth of Sorry I said this morning Friday morning Despite that it came through A week of grief You are absolutely looking to buy I love that uh, optimism I love that perspective However, with the current downturn, I now wouldn't I think now would be a great time. However, the Australian dollar is at multi-year lows. My question is, with the dollar at sixty-five cents, would it be better to buy US shares directly through an international broking account, or buy an ETF that contains a basket of these shares through the ASX? And then she asked, hedged or unhedged, which we'll get to separately. Your advice would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, Kate. Kate, you're a gem. Thank you very much for jumping on in. Insta. Thank you for asking a question. Thank you for listening. Hopefully, you also tell your girlfriends, mate, because um, we can use more women investing. Quite frankly, we're just—I'm super passionate, as is Doc, about getting more women and more kids investing, um, So, thank you for being an example for others. Well done, Doc. If Kate wants to buy some US companies, should she take the plunge at a low interest rate and a uh, low exchange rate? Sorry, and buy on a US broker, or should she buy an ETF? On the asx that gives the same sorts of exposures
1: yeah so the first question is is relatively straightforward so i mean if you're buying on uh, if you're buying an etf that gives you an exposure to say you know companies on the um, uh, trading on the nasdaq or uh, nyse in the us effectively you are paying in australian dollars but the currency is already factored in
0: right so whether you send australian dollars over to the us to be exchanged for the the shares or whether you buy in Australian dollars on the ASX where that exchange rate's already factored into the ETF price, it's kind of the same thing, right? Yeah,
1: it's come up, it's, it's the same thing. So there's there's no advantage. Uh, you're not getting any currency advantages because you're buying in Australian dollars. So
0: so currency uh, yeah. aside then, Doc, would you buy US shares at 65? So if you're, if, you're, if you're, not if you're Kate, because we have to tell Kate what you should do. Kate, as always, and like everybody, we can't give personal advice. But if you were someone like Kate who had cash and you were saying, I've always wanted to buy these shares and they're cheap now because the market's been, you know, falling... Even at sixty five cents, that's a decent uh, demotivator. Would you still be sending money to the US, or would you be buying something on the ASX?
1: Um, so the, again, is it the, so this is a complicated question. This yep. is complicated. That's largely why I ask you because it, for for a number of reasons that there's the factor of exchange rate, there's the factor of waiting, uh, there's the factor of diversification. Right. So there's yeah. there's, there's many layers. Um, all oh, good points. So the reason I, I personally, again, I, I, can only answer from my point of view. The reason I invest internationally, and I'm not when I say internationally, I just don't mean the U.S., but I mean actually internationally. Mm-hmm. The reason I invest internationally is I have plenty of domestic exposure. Right. Right. I work here. My wife works here. We live here. We have a house here. We have a mortgage here. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we have a commercial property in, in which my w- w- wife runs a small business. Uh, that's here we have more than enough local exposure. (laughs) That's that's (laughs) concentration right there. That's pretty concentration, right? So that's that's a lot of concentration. (laughs) So my international investing is Mm -hmm. all about diversification. Right. And and and, and what I generally think there is that when I'm looking long term, Mm -hmm. I think the exchange rate, kind of is going to work out is is my view right um yes 65 cents seems a bit low but you know that's that it seems a bit low because if you think the historic average is 80 and it should be 80 then it's low but you know that's just, just an assumption that it should work out with historic average right mm. nobody knows whether it's going to be 65 cents 60 cents 50 cents or a yeah, dollar i fair. don't know yep. um, so i think i'm looking at the diversification factor and saying well i want to invest in some really good companies and I want to invest in some of the best companies overseas and i want to get the diversification so if they're at the right price then i really am not really thinking about the exchange rate. maybe i should but i'm not really thinking about the exchange rate that much mm-hmm. it kind of hurts if i have to send uh, actually put some money across this morning yep. um it kind of hurts and you see the conversion from the <laughs> aud to you it see really the, doesn't the, <laughs> the, the, the number kind of decreases <laughs> substantially so it kind of yeah. hurts yeah. um but no, yeah, I'm still doing it. Okay. Uh, it was a lot more attractive at higher points. In yep. again, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, and it was really attractive in the 2010s and 11s when we were mm-hmm. getting like a dollar twenty <laughs> or dollar fifteen, yeah. There's, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, something like that to the dollar. Um, yeah. So, so that's my view. Um, yeah. So I think again, it's a very layered sort of thing that you really need to think about from your. Uh, Personal circumstances. What really works for you? Again, the other mm, things. Yeah, another yeah. thing that I'll add is it really matters also when you would need the money, because yeah, yeah. again, if you're going to need the money in, in three, four, five years, then maybe the dollar actually is going to be here. Maybe if you're going to invest in 10, 15, 20 years, then maybe the compounding is not going to. Compounding is going to probably make the dollars movement not that important. Yeah. Uh, so again, so again, a lot of lot of things to consider.
0: Agreed. Um I've been in your I've been in your place, Kate. I, I feel your pain, I feel in terms of the questions you're asking. Um uh, we've covered the we've covered the ETF versus the US stocks thing, I think that's fine. Um I gotta say, as a as a as a as an investor who's not yet got international exposure, I wouldn't be too worried about which, are, which of which those options you chose. Um I would want you to be diversified in your US portfolio as much as you are here, or at least be able to think about them as one complete diversified portfolio. So owning one, two or three stocks rather than say a Nasdaq ETF or an S&P five hundred ETF. Um just think about the implication of that for your portfolio and your your kind of um, approach to investing, um, mentally, emotionally, financially. Uh, think about that. In terms of kind of the money, I've been reluctant to send some money to the US. In fact, Doc, you and I were talking about this just on, was it Wednesday, I think? Um, you know, Doc was saying, what about this company versus that company? And, you know, one here, one in the US. And, and part of my answer was, look, I don't have an account that lets me easily switch between the two. I've got to literally transfer the cash. And I just haven't done that because I haven't been super excited about the exchange rate. Um, so I, I'm absolutely in your in your place. Now, I do already have a US portfolio. It just happens to be already fully invested, so there's no cash over there to, to make those trades with. I think, look, here's the thing. I reckon over any extended length of time, the exchange rate's going to start to to moderate in terms of its influence on your total returns. If Facebook, Amazon, Google, I own the last two, um, Berkshire, Tesla, um, pick your company, right? Just, just like whatever. If the company's going to go up, you know, two, three, four, five times in value over any decent amount of time, whether you give or take fifteen percent on the on the um, exchange rate, it's not going to be as relevant as your investment outperformance. I think that's probably how I'd think about it. I do. The thing is, hard to know where the dollar is going to be, right? Like traditionally, the dollar's average is about eighty cents. Um, so we are in theory below average, and so in theory, you could expect that if there's some sort of mean reversion, that you have that you know uh, go against you rather than for you as a as a as a as a process. That being said, exactly to Doc's point, if you can choose exactly when to sell the shares. And then exactly when you want to bring the money back and you're not forced to do either of those two things, you could sell in theory Facebook when it gets super, super expensive, it goes up a million times in price, you could sell then and great, you're, you're doing well. And then on top of that, you can decide to um, leave the money in the US until the dollar goes back to 85 cents or whatever the number you think is reasonable. And to do that separately. Then you actually get both benefits, right? So whatever whichever way you want to make the trade, as long as you have the flexibility and time that Doc's already talked about, you can make those individual trades whenever you want. As I said, moreover, I, think, I, think you, I probably think the dollar will be a slight drag on my investment returns if I send money across there now. But if the investment I make is even better than one I could make here, if I'm going to invest in some dodgy uh, dodgy mining company here or into Apple in the US to pick two companies, I, I think I was going to do better than that dodgy mining company. So I, I'd almost be better off wearing the exchange rate given those options. Now, they're not the only options. I could lose money in the US. I could make a fortune here with a great buy. You've got to think about all those things at the same time. But broadly, I wouldn't be too dissuaded at 65 cents, I have to say. It will probably go to 90 at some point during the rest of our lives. Um, and at that point, you'll feel like you made a silly decision because you lost some money on the exchange rate. It'll probably go to 60 at some point in our lives as well, by the way. Um, so I, again, I'd probably look through that to the extent you can. Doc, have I tortured that
1: one enough? Yeah, I think that, that's all fair.
0: I said that to i tortured You and said yes. Are you agreeing that I've made a mistake and made a mess of the whole thing?
1: Oh, um, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, again, from many of these things... Um, yeah, there are so many different answers, and there's no yeah, perfect nice.
0: answer, really. Nice. All right, here we go. Uh, last question, mate, for today, and then we'll finish off the weekend in style. Hi, this one's from Braden. Hi, Scott and Doc. My name is Braden, and you're welcome to use it. Again, lucky that I checked first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't actually, I just read it. Um, I genuinely have tried to pay the compulsory voluntary toll of five stars, but it appears to be an issue with Android devices. Now, Braden, you're killing me, dude. Doctor's not anymore incentive to bag Android devices mate just just don't say anything about it okay I'm happy to pay the said toll if you can direct me to an app that can try a few uh, I would recommend Pocket Cast personally mate so um, let's just keep that between ourselves and don't tell Doc okay good alright it says nevertheless my brother-in-law Craig and I regularly discuss your podcast and we are both big fans you both find the right balance of entertaining engaging and informative well done luckily for us Doc does that and I just do the talking it has made us both excitedly enter the stock market since listening. brilliant Here's the rub. We have been enlisting and investing for the past six to nine months. I was watching the market since about 2016. This is, I know, silly. Timidly expecting the end of the bull run. And now it seems to have come with my brother-in-law and I at quite a loss on our cost base. I know we are far better off in the long run investing. And we are both net buyers in our 30s. Bastards. But can you guys give us a coach-like pep talk? saying, Doc and coach, that could be a goer. So now apparently we're Doc and coach, not Doc and captain. I mate, I'll answer to anything. As long as people are still talking to me, that's a win. Thanks, guys. Brayden. All right, Doc, for Brayden and Craig, give a pep talk, mate. They've been investing for nine months. They're in the red. This whole thing seems like an expensive mistake. And you say?
1: Well, you know, uh, this is what I would say. I would say that, number one, um, you guys have the biggest advantage that you can have. Bastards. Is, yeah, exactly, which is why Scott is so furiously swearing, furiously um, swearing time.
0: I love everybody, but I hate people who are younger than yeah, me. Yeah, exactly.
1: That way. So, it's, so young people who have got a long... <laughs> road ahead oh, yeah, the, the beauty with young people is you know however much money you're earning now you're going to earn more money later that's also true actually so you're going to be saving more money later as long as you again you don't spend more uh, You spend more as you as you earn more but you know don't yeah. spend pr- disproportionately more I guess plus your super will go up too the right super, so, you,
0: you, so you earn more you save more your super goes up effectively, more now, Doc.
1: effectively life is just great <laughs> well if so, you're there so you know for you're some us. of us life is not that good <laughs> anymore um, uh, so so, so and then the other thing I would say is, if you have got some money on the sidelines, think about investing. Think about you know starting to buy stuff. Because again, if you if you take this, like somebody who's in their thirties, they'll have thirty years to invest. Even if you just make eight nine percent compounded return, just eight nine percent, and you're not even trying to beat the market, then you'd still have fascinating amount of money uh, <laughs> in, in the future. So that's the number one thing. Uh, number two thing is yes your timing was not great (laughs) but (laughs) if you know what my timing was not great too because if my timing was great i should have sold everything right just before this thing happened (laughs) but uh, you know what i sold nothing (laughs) because Mm -hmm. nobody could have known right um you know and if anybody says that they would have (laughs) known and this is coming and that's coming you know the, the fact is we we can make some guesses as what's happening the fact is that it's it's, you know you might be right on some of the guesses you will be wrong on some of the guesses it's really hard and it's really it's really hard Mm. to to even even predict what's going to happen next right i mean you can have a view but to predict how the markets are going to behave is is really really hard it's really tough so yeah as long as again you take a long-term view the, the my my favorite uh way to think about the stock market is it's it's our way to participate in the genius of mankind uh humankind i'll, I'll use uh, humankind as, as mm-hmm. the answer that sounds a little bit more uh better and polite and and you know so many great things right you know if we go back 100 years we you know we had this corded telephone now we have got smartphones and we can speak with anyone anywhere in the world we can look yeah, at everyone anyone in the world and we could do that all for free we don't have and you know if you were doing it if somebody remembers what a trunk call is uh that's true. you know if you remember what a trunk call is you call the operator you tell them to connect you with someone then you shout because <laughs> the other person can't hear you
0: that's so true actually and i've done i've I made a few that. trunk calls yeah, yeah, you know yeah
1: uh, and i'm not that old uh but i've made some <laughs> trunk calls. So even if you just think about the progress yep. humankind has made over time a lot of that progress you can actually partake in via yeah. investing in companies that are that are making that progress happen. And and therefore, I just think that, you know, unless, and if the world is coming to an end, mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter what you do with <laughs> cash anyways. Right. So that's the other it's, side of the story, right? If yeah, the world yeah, is coming yeah. to an end, we're all going to die. Well, then if you had money or you didn't have money, does it doesn't really matter.
0: This is supposed to be a pep talk, dude.
1: Yeah, but I'm just saying the other side. If <laughs> no, the world I is know. coming to an end, whether you had money or not, it's really not right. going to matter. If you're going to all have, you know, uh, if you're going to have corn, <laughs> you know, you're going to yeah, you know, grow our own corn and eat it, well, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you have money. But if life is going to go on to become great, and if, as I just said, if you think about a telephone yeah. and think about the That's smartphone today. That's a really good today, yeah. um, I love that. How great it is, right? I mean, you can do, you know, Scott is reading off these questions from his, Smartphone. It's not really that g- great, but it's 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 okay. It's a <laughs> smartphone at least. Uh, it's not a good smartphone, but it's still a smartphone. Uh, it's better oh, than reading dear. off the questions f- on a trunk call, right? <laughs> so, so I think that's the thing. That's right. Uh, we I, have to
0: walk around in each of your houses and, and talk about it individually about exactly. this podcast. And the way yeah, we are submitting
1: yeah. the questions and the way we are interacting <laughs> with people today, uh, the way we are talking to you is via this podcast, yeah, uh, via true. the internet. The internet did not exist <laughs> 20, 25 years ago. So I think there'll be lots of great things that are going to happen. Yeah. Um, I love that invest uh stay invested yes be you know pragmatic you know think through what's happening think through which companies are going to exist not exist how you're going to invest uh, all of those things are good considerations to have but the broader point would be that investing still works um and at the point of investing doesn't work i think it's going to be a bad world and and and, and therefore <laughs> i and i really hope and and i do think that we're not going to get there so that's that's my pep talk
0: i love that doc i you know <laughs> That, that's the only the only thing I, the only reason I don't hate Braden more is because at least with age comes that experience, right? Braden, I'm guarantee you, given given he's thirty something, he's never done a trunk call. Like, and some to some degree, you know, I've got a twenty five year old and a, a, a seven year old. They are never going to know. I mean, there'll be more advances, right, in the future. But the the only advantage, maybe one of the only advantages of age, is you've actually seen more stuff change, right? Like if you try to tell us as ten year olds what the world was going to look like today. I don't know how you could explain the internet. I don't know how you could explain smartphones or FaceTime or Skype or Twitter or in- like we. You know, I say, we I used a phone with a cord on the wall, like it. You know, that with a rotary dial. By the way, we ring the operator and say, "Can you put me through to North America, where my auntie lived?" And we talk to her for two minutes and pay eighty-five bucks for the privilege. Yeah. When you know that stuff, when you've actually experienced that stuff, that gives us one advantage, which is you see the pace of innovation, the just amazing ingenuity I think is the word you use or genius Um, it's just been fantastic
1: yeah and just think about buying stocks right Right, if it was like 30 years ago you'd be shouting at some trading floor, hey (laughs) give me that stock I will pay one dollar and five and a half cents or something like that so in the US
0: it used to be be fractions (laughs) so you would have paid one and one sixteenth for shares (laughs) All right. I'm going to quickly wrap this up with two quick thoughts Uh, I'm going to give you some homework Braden and your homework is to jump on Google hopefully uh, I think the kids know what Google is don't they doc is that still one of the things the kid's yeah, use? I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure it's probably Facebook. I use thing. Bing. Oh, Bing.com. Bing. Oh, I can go. also recommend oh, DuckDuckGo. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm kidding. Look, so jump on Google. Do two, Google two things for me. The first thing I want you to Google is Vanguard index chart 2017. No, this is not recorded three years ago. This is 2020. I want you to do that because that's a, it's a 30-year chart and that's the last time the 1987 stock market crash was in that chart. And why I want you to do that is because I want you to look at the very, very far left of the chart at how serious the fall looked and how inconsequential it is in hindsight. Then I want you to look at the dot com crash. Then I want you to look at the GFC. Then I want to look at the very right hand side where you can see that over that 30 year period, 10 grand became $113,000 without a single cent being added after that first 10 grand. That's a tenfold return in 30 years without a cent being added. Now, if you've got 20 or 30 or 40, or I shouldn't say now, because I don't want to get happen in the future. I can't can't extrapolate that. But 30 years ago, if you'd had 50 grand in the market, you'd have $500,000 now, or at least at the end of 2017, the end of that chart. That chart is great. Look up the 2019 version, by the way, if you want, which is the most recent one. It doesn't include the current falls because it's not 2019 anymore. but that chart is useful because it does, you know, it shows you the more current information. In fact, the average return is actually higher in that chart than it was in 2017. But I love 2017 because it includes the dot-com crash, uh, the uh, dot-com crash, the 87 crash. So it has all of it in there. Grab that, print out, stick it on your wall and remind yourself that that's the shape the market took. But also if you just do a, a draw a line from the beginning to the end, you see what a phenomenal, phenomenal return you could have achieved just by putting money in and forgetting about it, despite all those ructions. Second bit of homework is another bit of Googling. I want you to Google something called 13 Foolish New Year's Resolutions. You to know, use that phrase because God knows there's a million resolutions out there. 13 Foolish New Year's Resolutions. It's a thing that I put together with some of the members of my Share Advisor team back in the day. You can even print out a PDF version. How new age is that, Doc? I managed to actually create and upload a PDF. Who would have thought? Isn't like, that impressive? Know, that sounds very impressive. I know, I know. Anyway, so do that for me. Uh, print that out. You, you, it's it's The good thing about that is it's a reminder of the things that you just simply need to keep doing. So the Vanguard chart will show you why it's worth doing and the 13 resolutions will give you 13 steps that remind you of how to save and invest and think long-term. Those two together hopefully will give you a sense that one leads to the other and they're kind of circular in style. I think, I hope, I believe that if you can follow that faithfully... And by the way, again, that Vanguard chart, not a single dollar added. You're getting paid super every month or every quarter. Hopefully, you're saving at least every month or every quarter. Um, if you added money to that, that graph, the graph goes just up phenomenally to the right. Like if you add regularly, it goes up into the millions pretty quickly. So look, that's my, my best piece of advice is I get it's tough. Look at history. Use that as your guide, not as a guarantee but as a, a way to set probabilities. If it's happened before, and it's, Doc, again, I love that line. If, it, if the stock market is the sum total of human genius, well, guess what? We're no stupider than we were three months ago, let alone three or 30 years ago. So that'd be my advice. Keep investing. Keep doing the right things the right way because I'm pretty sure, in fact, I'm entirely sure, if you do that, you'll be very, very, very pleased that you did. I think you'll, um, you'll find that wealth will accumulate despite the occasional and, frankly, maybe even less occasional ups and downs reasonably quickly.
1: Any more, Doc? No, I have nothing to add.
0: Time to go enjoy our Sunday, I reckon. I think so. <laughs> Before we go, don't forget. No, I'm not going to do a usual spiel. I'm going to throw the socials in first. Don't forget, you can jump onto social media and, of course, email. I forgot to give the email on Friday. So if you want to email us, info at fool.com.au is the way to get in touch. Or jump on Twitter. Um, I don't believe the handles. I'll do it just quickly at the Motley Fool AU, at Anirban Mahanti, at TMF Scott P. Or you go through the usual social channels, look up Scott Phillips Money on Facebook or The Motley Fool Australia on Facebook or on Insta. Again, at The Motley Fool AU and at TMF Scott P, the same as our Twitter handle. So that should give you a pretty easy, simple way to get in touch with us. And of course, while you're here, if you haven't already, please make sure you do subscribe to The Motley Fool Money podcast on Apple or your favorite Android podcast app. If you like what we're doing, please give us a rating, give us some stars. You've got to make up for other people who can't. We heard about that already. Some poor bugger hasn't got, you know... The ability to give us some stars. So do, do, do him a favour. Give give us some stars on his behalf. I'm sure he'd appreciate it. And of course do tell your friends. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of foolish insight. Full Fool on.
1: Full on.